Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Jean-Michel, the CTO at Shopify, and we discuss what it takes to build a product-focused culture, how Shopify is removing the barrier to entrepreneurship, and why building a backpack full of knowledge will give you a competitive edge in problem solving. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. By the way, I love Shopify because um, I use you guys for my family's charity. Like we sell these children's books and it's yeah. just the easiest thing in the world to use. Awesome. Awesome. How long have you been using Shopify? And do you remember uh, how, how you picked? Like, did you try a bunch out or was it just... I did. I actually did. I had tried a couple and I think it was like, it's just so, it was just so fast to get started. Like, and I had chosen yeah. Shopify before using my family's charity because I've, my background's engineering. I've been uh, writing yeah. code for about 17 years. So, you know, just through the process of doing projects, you know, all your friends are like, Oh, you write code. Can you do a website for me? And you just, yeah, exactly. you don't want to do it. You don't want to do it. You're like, no, I don't do that type of code. But, and then you eventually find these little products that you push off on people. And so, yeah. um, the easiest one ever to use was Shopify. And then I was like, all right, if I just tell everyone to go use that, then they don't bother me and they can just figure it out on their own. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, we've tried to, I mean, you can tell it's kind of been built by geeks. You know, we've got liquid and templating, but also we've put a really good veneer on that, which is, you know, either you get just out of the box, it works. Or if you want to get into the meat, you can go and, and do what you want. So uh, we've tried to, to strike that balance pretty well because I think, um, I know as a developer, I know developers actually have a huge play in what tools people use out there. You know, like because people ask you, right? They're like, what do you want to use? And and I think if developers like it, then it, it, it and it's kind of counterintuitive, then I think developers are going to be one of your biggest sales force in some ways, right? Just by the trust factor they have. And then you know, if developers like it, it means that they can, it's, it's pretty malleable. And then, so it's been, yeah, it's cool to hear. Well, thanks. Thanks for using us. It's awesome. It's a lot like Stripe in the sense that yeah. when it came out, it was just so good. There was no need to find an alternative. It's like, even if there was a copycat that was equally as good, once you find the first one that works, you just stop searching. You're like, this is perfect. It works until someone <laughs> yeah. in my network tells me there's another reason I have to switch. I'm just going to stick with, with this. Awesome. So I want to know a little bit more about you. Like, how did you get involved with technology? Did you play video games when you were younger? Did you write code? Yeah, so uh, maybe I took an, a, a complete opposite path. So I don't know. Do, do, do you watch the Grammys this Sunday? The Grammys? No, so, I didn't. So Billie Eilish kicked ass this year, right? I think okay. she won. I don't know. I, I actually couldn't stay up the whole thing, but she won everything. But what's, what's really cool about the story is uh, her and her brother basically produced the Grammy-willing album from... Um, their bedroom. So okay. there's a YouTube video, and if you go on online and watch the video about how they how they actually uh, created Bad Guy, you know, sampling from a crosswalk in Sydney, Australia. They've got like AC as drum machine. So that was me as a teenager. So I had a music setup in my in my bedroom. Um, I mean, this is a long time ago. Like this is like late '80s, and I was in music class. I did art class, and I love creating music. And uh, my parents got me an Atari ST, and uh, I just I. I'd already been playing music and I was like, holy crap, I can literally create my own songs from my bedroom. This is amazing power. And then uh, I did that through high school. I, uh, I'd never programmed actually uh, through high school. So I, I, you know, I did uh, a lot of music. And one year, my final year, I actually went to the drama teacher and I said, I think you don't need a band. 
this year for our school play. <laughs> you know, like literally like, this is like automation through the other. I'm like, I think you can fire the whole band. I can do the whole thing. And she's like, what are you talking about? I said, I can, we're going to do a Les Mis, Phantom of the Opera, you know, Melee, and I'll do all the music. I'll sequence it on my computer. We're going to do it live. So live, I'll basically be replaying what I've sequenced and I'll do one track live and I'll do the drums for this one or do a bit of piano, et cetera. And um, I pulled it off and I was like, man, that was great. And then, uh, you know, last year high school, I go to the guidance counselor and I'm like, I have no idea what I should do in school because I've been painting, doing art, doing a bit of math. And she's like, there's this new profession called computer science. It'd be perfect. You've been using computers. Why don't you go into that? So uh, uh, I remember my first class in university, you know, computer science, CS1, whatever, um, sitting around a bunch of people who've been programming for a while. And I was, I felt pretty much like the, you know, odd person out. I'd never programmed. I hadn't. Um, so I remember sitting beside what I found the nerdiest looking person in my class. And uh, his name was Pascal Blais. And uh, he taught me everything I know and got me kind of on-ramped into, I guess, from a, a user of computers as like a, a creative outlet to like building up them. So that's, that's how I got into, uh, into pr programming. So you played like multiple instruments? Uh, yeah, saxophone. at that time, a lot of saxophone and piano. So, so alto sax was my first. I did that for like seven years. Oh, was? Okay, cool. Yeah. And then I moved to, did some bass guitar, which I really didn't like. So I moved to like acoustic uh -huh. and then electric guitar. And then um, I wanted, you know, fast forward 10 years and I wanted to just like improve. And so I was talking to my brother-in-law, he's a music producer, did like a bunch yeah. of the boy bands in the nineties and stuff. And uh, yeah, yeah, like Aaron Carter and uh, course, Aaron. Brooke Hogan. Yeah, yeah, like wow. this song about Shaq or something. Like he wrote that one. Yeah. And, I don't know. He did a bunch of cool stuff, but um, or it was part of the group for uh, Universal. But um, yeah, so learned uh, drums to work on like my rhythm and timing. And that actually mm. learning drums after having experience with all these other instruments, it actually really affects your playing across everything when you when you learn something completely new like that. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's kind of like software, right? You want to be a full stack musician. <laughs> so yes. I actually started with baritone saxophone, which is just keeping the rhythm, right? And again, just going back to what, what Billy and her brother did in her bedroom, like it's all about the rhythm, right? And, and that's what, so I got into bar, baritone saxophone and went, you know, went up the stack, right? Alto, soprano, piano, like it's, it's, it's fascinating to, to see it all. So a lot of parallels with programming, honestly, it's insane. There, there's a farther one. There's if you don't learn to like master one first, and you only dip your toe into like each of them, then you never become like really great. Exactly, exactly. Because so. I, see, I see a lot of the students coming, I did some mentoring for a couple years on Code Mentor, and yeah. uh, I would talk to these students coming out of these coding academies, and they were like, yeah, we did one project for three weeks in this framework or this language, then we did something for two weeks, and they come out and they have no depth of understanding of how like one single system works. And I was like, just go, like dive into like Ruby for like three years or, you know, like just go yeah. dive into something deeply so that then you can build those analogies and those parallels farther out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we talked often about like each one of those experiences, right? Whether it be different instruments or, you know, different parts of the technology stack, it's like, it's all this knowledge you put into your like knowledge backpack. And when problems start coming at you, you just have more tools, right? This is like, we're just literally little like problem solvers. And, um, I think Einstein had this big quote, which is like, like, how did he, like, how did he solve problems? And that's what he, I think that's kind of what he talked about. He's like, you just end up reading, reading, understanding and nothing like you don't actually solve anything until something shows up 
and you can actually pull all these tools out of your backpack and you're like, oh, I, I think I've seen this. And then once you start seeing the same ones returning, that's when you start actually getting some skill. You're like, oh, I've seen that pattern before. I know, you know, I know how to change keys when it's the right time to do that. Or I, you know, in programming, I know how the OS works versus just how, uh, what client programming is like, I can, I can pull those things together and, um, yeah, it takes some time. It takes, it takes some time and a lot of practice. Anyway, yeah. long story. Yeah. No, I love it. One day I was sitting down and I, I was like, you know, I've been staring at these pixels on the screen for 15 <laughs> yeah. plus years and I keep hearing this thing, you know, I like, I'm a, I'm a kind of geek. I'll listen to some Neil deGrasse Tyson type stuff. Um, and I keep hearing like energy isn't created or destroyed, but then at the same time, we have power generation plants that create the power. Mm. And I'm like, <laughs> that created this conflict in my brain. So I started doing research to figure out like, how do the electrons actually emit like from the pixel? Like how does it come from the power station all the way yes. out through your computer? And so I went on this like, tangent for six months learning all the different steps and uh how transistors and everything works and how electricity flows and it's just brilliant oh it's insane yes exactly yeah. and i think if if anything um like a lot of people probably think we've figured everything out as humans right technology wise <laughs> we figured everything out right we can make electrons move all over the place but i think like what i worry about a lot in in like how we can actually make the planet a better place in the future is is people realizing actually what we have right now is version one of everything right? Technology wise, whether it be, you know, computing, energy production, et cetera. And then, um, but we, we need people to take what we have today apart. So we can see what's actually possible, right? You see, oh my God, that looks like that was so archaic now that we understand physics a bit more material sciences, et cetera. So, um, yeah, I, I think that infinite curiosity is super, super useful. I, I did not go into that rat hole. I've been going into more uh, software rat holes these days, but how commerce works, but yeah, it's, it's best. Well, what are you learning over there? What am I learning? Uh, fascinating. Uh, good question. Um, one that's pretty interesting is uh, image uh, quality. And you're like, whoa, what does image quality have to do with, with Shopify or commerce? But um, we're realizing that uh, in the fashion industry, when you're buying online, um, obviously returns are a big deal. And this you know, makes the newspaper, right? About whether it be the impact on the planet or just a logistical overhead of 18 to 20% of apparel is returned. And then as a geek, I'm like, well, why is that? Like, cool. Like, is that, is that a wrong size? Is it they click the wrong button? Like, what is it? And if you start digging into like what actually causes a lot of returns, um, one is sizing, right? It's like, oh, you said it was a medium, but your medium's not the same as my medium. Like, like what, like medium's almost too coarse grade of a measurement, right? If you, if you, like, especially when people get used to knowing how things feel, but the other one is color. Like that, like what kind of blue was that? Like that, oh, that's not the same blue that I thought it was going to be. So, so those two things are really interesting. I'm like, so how do we solve both colors and sizing? So sizing, obviously, you know, looking at trying to get way like actual personal measurements and coming around with like, what kind of personal measurements can you bring around? Like you've got your credit card in your wallet, but you also need your sizing. And the second part is looking at JPEG specifications on, on color ranges and color hues. So a lot of our images are, are compressed and uh, we're, I have someone on my team looking at literally like what kind of fidelity are we losing with some of the compression and how does that impact, you know, screen, re screen resolution, screen quality, and um, basically color mismatches between what people are expecting as well. So um, there's a new JPEG spec that's been worked on. I forget, I think JPEG 10. Um, so we're kind of looking at 
being really involved in that and some of the actual screen manufacturing as well to make sure we can like have a really good representation of, of what something actually looks like. So I think that's going to complement, you know, we've got a lot of 3D modeling going on. So it gives you, a, you know, it gives you some volumetric, you can get the size, you can put it in your living room, but that's going to be color and sizing. I think are going to be some, some big ways that we can kind of use technology to hopefully get that 18 to 20% down. No, I, I agree because I was watching, I think like brain games. I don't watch a lot of TV, but when I do, it's yeah. usually like science or something I feel like is educational. Um, and they were showing like how your brain perceives colors and shadows. And yeah. it's heavily influenced by the colors around it. And so you've yeah. got like those plays too. Like when you started talking colors, I was instantly thinking like, oh man, the the colors on your site around the the product are going to influence how you do the product. And I thought about my wife and she has these like, like a timer that like at different times in the day, the phone tents, you know, for the uh -huh. evening. And I was yeah, like, yeah. oh, so her whole screen is tinted a different color. Um, and so you've got all of these things and then sizing, like I like these lucky jeans. You got, you have lucky up there. No, no, I'm a page fan, but yeah. <laughs> Ooh, I haven't heard of this. Let me write this down. Page P A G E. P A I J E. I believe they're kind of right. like these faux stretchy, jeans i like to wear right. jeans i'm like okay i need colored jeans now that are as comfy right and so <laughs> exactly. yeah yeah we have a brand lucky but like i'll go to the store okay. and i'll like there'll be a i'll get the exact same size by two of the copies and they don't fit the same yeah. right because they're just exactly. like there's differences and so you have that and so you have all of these things but i love the fact that you guys are like all right what can we do because you're also you're like not the retailer you're the tools for the retailer right Exactly. Like we're like we're the platform. So people expect us to maybe do some of the heavy lifting technology wise so they don't have to. Right. I think you're talking about the, the that book charity that you guys run. Like you don't have to have to worry about that. Um, so it is cool. Honestly, I think I underestimated the cool tech geek stuff in commerce um, that I get to work on here. So. So I saw you over at Lazian and we were just editing one of their episodes. Um, they have like a CTO and a CIO. We had both of them on to get okay. like different perspective. Yeah, yeah. But their culture there is amazing. Is is you have fantastic culture at at Shopify? Yeah, I mean, uh, I was uh, pretty lucky. I uh, I landed at Atlassian in 20, 2010, I think. Um, Mike and Scott, who were the founders, I literally cold emailed them one night and said, "I think we should work together." And uh, you know, got to kind of be part of. I'd say a um, you know, if you say culture, like how do you def like what does that mean? In the first, I think Atlassian and Shopify have a lot in common. Um, and uh, first is founders that are kind of pot committed. Like this is their this is their dream job. They built a company around something they love doing, and they've they've got really really good long term thinking. And I think like when you're building a technology product company, I think that's so important, right? It means we can make short term and long term bets. And I, I loved I love that environment at Atlassian. Um, second thing is very product focused. You know, like we're we're here to bring a, a product to market, um, and, and we kind of really love doing that. And this, the third thing is just empowering employees, you know, like just treating people as adults, um, being open with people, uh, assuming that good ideas are going to come from everywhere. So um, I think if anything, Shopify and Lassen probably are like, you know, covering copies of kind of that mentality with Toby here, you know, again, his, his life's job, this is the only thing. And I think that that permutates in a, a lot of stuff that we're doing. And also we're, you know, what's, what's kind of cool is two companies that did not grow up in San Fran. So, you know, we've got, I, I've got this habit of, of uh, finding misfits. So Atlassian, craziest thing. I literally picked my family up and moved to Australia to build a tech company the furthest away you can 
possibly do. But you know, it's it's kind of like in the in, in the environment uh, when when creatures and organisms have a lot of friction, you have to evolve in a certain way. Like it causes some different evolution and Atlassian had to evolve in a certain way, which is, you know, it had to, at the time we had to sell our software online with no salespeople, which mean that it had to be super approachable. We spent a lot of time on getting up and started uh, self-serve and that, that was really, really useful at that time. And uh, Shopify up in here in Canada, we've had some of the same um, pressures, right? We had to just evolve in a different way. We had to hire people that didn't have experience as much. Like we couldn't just put people from Google or Amazon. So we bet a lot on people growing really quickly. And, and I think we developed a lot of our internal coaching programs, uh, the way we hire to be very different than what the Valley was. So um, it's been fun to be in two companies that have been, you know, a bit, uh, a bit the opposite of, of uh, the bandwagon uh, established against San Fran or in the Valley. You mentioned product. I have this on my desk here. I've been reading this lately. Uh, product mindset. Product mindset. Ah, yeah. Cool. If you haven't read this one, I've not read that one. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, you know, people recommend books to me all the time. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. And uh, then I found out that we were going to have, um, you know, David and Jessica on the show. And so I said, all right, well, I'll I'll read the read the cliff notes and interview them. I did, and they were really smart. So afterwards, I was like, all right, I'm going to go actually read the book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so oh, I read cheated. it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. You know, you read the summary. If I read every book, uh, yeah. So I yeah. I then read it, and I was like, oh, this is good because it's got like it's got some basics in there, but then some of the way that they describe it, it like, you know, I read some books and I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Check, check, check. I know this, you know, I've been doing yeah. the product a long time. And then some people just come around and they say it just differently and they have new perspective and it kind of gets you excited again. And that, and this book did that for me. So I, I bought so what 10 was, copies. What was the biggest, awesome. I'm going to buy it. I've not read it. What was the biggest takeaway for you? Um, well, they had some, they had some good stories, but I really liked how they focus on making each individual product uh, well, so it's like, it's a mindset of products. So when I say that everybody instantly loads their definition of product. So they'll look at like, uh, within a company, if you have like, I guess I use Stripe cause I was in their platform a lot. You notice that at first they were just credit card processing, but then they started to break out and they had all these like radar and all these other products. Well, they look at each individual product and they do, you know, financials on it and they have success for it. And the idea is that the product should be self-sustaining like in its own cost yeah. and, and come up with some sort of value on how, you know, you have success with that. Uh, and then that the cost, it's like a business, right? You need the, the, mm. I'm not articulate today, <laughs> but you know, you need more income than expense and you, and okay, they, okay. they model that for the product. And then, uh, they have some perspective too about, you know, communicating with stakeholders and, it's just a fresh yeah. take on it. And I liked it a lot. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. I think it's funny that like the word product is, um, it's kind of a new world word, right? Like I, you know, I've been in the industry for almost 25 years. And, you know, when I started, there was no product managers. Yeah, there was no UX, there was no designers. You just, you had a team and you built something and you, and you shifted. And, uh, um, you know, I think I've been shaped a lot by having to be like having to have a lot of roles. You just go back to where we started about music, right? Like, you know, you have to be the product manager. And, and uh, one of the cool jobs that I got thrown into being a product manager is um, I was part of the founding team that built the Eclipse platform. And that was done out of Ottawa here. And we're, we're building out basically a, you know, a universal IDE platform. And we're like, hey, how's anyone going to know about this? <laughs> you know, the first part of product is like, literally like, how do you get, you know, how do you get people to know about it? How do you build a great community? How do you do onboarding? Like, so as a kind of product owner without the title product, just 
as a developer, like having to create all those other things that actually make up a product, right? Whether it be a business plan, how are we going to fund this? How do we get, how do we build a community? What's the docs going to be? What's the onboarding? Um, how do we get feedback? Like having to do that from day one, I think is a really good, like um, a good empathy that it's just like you can build it, but there's a lot more involved in, in creating a great product. And, um, you know, if anything, I always try and like, I love people to have different jobs to, to almost have these different mindsets and, and, and understand what it is. I feel like um, product people also are really good at selling the value of something. You know, as engineers were like, hey, it works. You know, like think about it, you go through your entire computer science degree and you're like, man, I made it past the tests. You know, I, I, I took a, a, an image file, got imported and I, I analyzed it. I did image recognition properly. I did, uh, I did bounding objects, algorithms, it's fucking awesome. I'm like, cool. But why does anyone care? You know, so <laughs> I think like, what's it going to, like, what am I going to use it for? And um, I spent a lot of time on coaching on, on getting engineers to understand the value of what they're doing. Um, and, and value is like, why does it matter? So for example, like, you know, like at Shopify, we're doing a lot of performance work and we're like, Hey, we made, you know, rendering of liquid on the server, you know, three times faster. I'm like, cool. I'm like, why does it like, what's the client side? impact going to be what like what do merchants know like we we've got to uncover that and for me that's a big part of the product mindset because product means value like you're literally delivering value to someone and at some point i think we have to talk talk in that language like here's like you know like in the case of prompts by the way your online store now is going to be two times faster <laughs> rendering on the client side because of this change and by the way you know the internet baseline is is two and a half seconds and you're at one and I, and i'm like well, we don't have a product manager to talk like that. I'm like, no, this is just like, this is human speak. Just like you build something, it's valuable and you ship it. And I think, I mean, Elon in some way has a great way of doing it, right? The quintessential engineer and has a great way of talking about the value of what he's doing, whether it be, you know, being a multi-planetary species. Why is that? Like, why is it valuable to do this, right? Or why is it, why is it valuable to build, you know, funky, cool cars? It's because of, you know, um, uh, a very, very simple message. And I think, uh, if, if anything, like for engineers, I think people that have a product mindset of explaining value is, is, is extremely important. They have a lot of that in the book too. Connecting the okay, value. Cool. Yeah. Connecting the okay, value of what go. you're working on back to the product. It's Phew, just, I'm glad. Okay. Yeah. I just winged it there. So, okay. Yeah, dude, first of all, that was like mic drop good advice. I love it. And you can even take it a step farther too, because you know, you, you communicated the, the speed against the, the baseline, but then you could just go pull some study on page load speed against uh, sales close percentages. And now you've actually exactly. made them more money by that liquid template rendering update. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We just made you, that's the headline. We just made you, you guys more money. We just made your more money. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> We're on that. We're on that. You just made more <laughs> money. Exactly. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. Mic drop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. So like what, what is your, when you guys go up against like competitors, we were talking earlier about like, why did I choose Shopify versus let's just mm. pretend there's no other solution. But like, what are your key differentiators? Like, what do you say makes you stand out against others? Um, so I think the first thing is we, we kind of have a lead in this market and we, we actually spend a lot more time trying to imagine what's the green path for entrepreneurships around the world. And we try and remove all the barriers. Right. So like going to the bank, like I would not have to go to the bank and deal with all that bullshit, right. Getting a website set up, uh, getting a payments provider. So we, we actually spend way more time almost like exploring the space of commerce and spending time with merchants, running our own businesses and, and smashing down every barrier we saw. Like we announced, 
a couple months ago are the Shopify Fulfillment Network, which is our logistical backend and warehouses. And that was kind of not looking at competition. We kind of didn't want to work on this. Like it's pretty comp, like it's pretty involved to get into warehousing. But then our merchants were like, hey, by the way, you know, once we start getting more than 10 orders a day, I spend my time negotiating with third-party logistic providers, trying to figure out how many I need, finding packaging. You know, there's some there's some big guys out there. We just we don't want to give our stuff to them. Can you just make this problem go away for us? Because, you know, entrepreneurs want to spend their time. I want to be, spend my time on marketing or spend my time on product development. And we're like, okay, okay, let's go. Let's go figure this out. Let's bring technology to the warehouses. Let's, um, so that's where our mindset is, as opposed to looking at what other people are doing. Like we have like a million merchants now just literally telling us what things piss them off about running a business. And our job is to take that away. So that's, that is literally the focus of what we do. Now, what are we really good at? I mean, I think scale has been a big one. Like when you start a business, you don't want to have to change. You're like, hey, like if you're, you know, if you're onto something, you end up on Shark Tank, um, you don't want to have to replatform. And, uh, you know, we've got the world's biggest, I'd say, D2C brands on us. So Fortune Magazine had, I think, Kanye and Kylie as examples of businesses that have grown to like the fastest zero to a billion dollar retail businesses on the planet. And they were built on Shopify with, I don't know if I can say the size of their teams, but they're small teams, you know, like Kylie and Kanye's team are not like, they don't have a hundred person team. And I think what they do do is they've got Shopify who've helped them do that. So whether it be sneaker bots, sneaker selling, fashion, et cetera, like we've had the scale. So I think for that gives some comfort to people that they can, they can scale with us. Um, and uh, we're going to be there. Um, you know, we've had some sales that, you know, we have a lot of celebrities who, who kind of been on us and it doesn't go perfectly on day one because it, you know, we're, we're trying to push the boundary all the time. Um, but we, we welcome um, as many people we can. So I think that's number one. Number two is we're really flexible. You know, you've seen it, I think, you know, with our, with be our online store editor, with our APIs, like we've, we realized that we've, we've tried to solve the 80% case of what, what merchants and entrepreneurs need, but realize that like commerce is different depending on what you're selling, how you're selling it, what kind of brand you want. Um, so that flexibility also comes with, we try and make sure that entrepreneurship is like, um, it's still a human experiential part. So that's why you don't see Shopify. Like you, you shop on, online and you basically, you know, uh, I think the stats are like pretty much every, like every American is going to have shopped on a Shopify store in a month and no one knows about it. So like, that's a really important thing that we're here to make your brand look great. And that's like, that's our entire purpose is to make it so that you can figure out what kind of business you run and run it your way and have the experience you want. Um, and I think that's like, and you can have the relationship with your customers, which I think is really, really important. Um, on the technology side as well. Um, I think you'll see that we just, we just innovate really quickly, you know? So if, you know, we've got, again, like, you know, built in AR, VR, um, functionality on our, our online stores coming now, um, you know, doing the warehouse work that we, we, we ship really quickly. So I think there's a long-term bet on us that we're just keeping at this for a long-term with, um, and bring as much technology as, as, as we can to it. So, um, I think anyway, I, I can go on forever, but I think that's, that's for me, some of the, the things I hear repeated to me a lot and people trust us. They're, they're kind of like, they trust us, you know, like we're, we're kind of a shoot from the hip, uh, company where we, we don't bullshit and we, uh, we ship first and talk later. And I think people appreciate that. When you were talking about uh, the team size of the uh, celebrities, I just imagined yeah. like, like Kim Kardashian's like whole family is the one operating the store. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like this There's actually, mental visual. Yeah. 
if you want to see a fun uh, video, there's a YouTube video of uh, Jeffree Star's sale pre-Christmas. Uh, we worked with, uh, with this team pretty closely. Uh, it didn't go super well, um, but we learned a lot and now it's, it's very smooth. So uh, anyway, we do a bit of reality TV show where I had to have one of our, uh, our DevOps or our <laughs> infrastructure engineers on the phone with uh, Jeffrey's team. But uh, anyway, all is well. But again, we, uh, we react really quickly and love, we, we love, you know, following these, these, you know, some people see them as, as celebrities and yeah, it's easy for them. But honestly, like the amount of work they put into their products, into, you know, uh, branding it, getting it out there. It's just, it's, it's really fun to see. Now you mentioned a couple of times, um, like internal coaching programs, coaching, like how do you approach yep. that? Uh, I think the first thing is because we were outside of the Valley, we had to hire for potential more than experience. So what happens when you hire for potential more than experience is you've got to, you've got to accelerate that potential kind of actually <laughs> realizing itself. And uh, what we've noticed is a lot of that potential is locked in uh, self-confidence in like a lot of the human things, right? Like people have the skill, but um, uh, we're not taught in school how to be humans, right? We're taught to be, you know, solve problems, but a lot of those end up being whether it be teamwork or imposter syndrome or communication gap, you know, like, you know, the, the human language is extremely um, hard to understand, right? People have a lot of subtlety. So our coaching problem is how do we pull potential out of people quicker? Because we need that as a company. And, um, and we know that uh, how people show up in their roles and their lives is probably going to play the biggest impact. So we've, we really doubled down on, on coaching as being a, a kind of an important human tool to, to pull that out quicker. Now you make a good point too. Like, school they teach you you work in an isolated fashion like you're not allowed to share you're not allowed to help each other with the test and that is the exact like opposite of what you have the skills you need in, in real life is you have life's to about cheating to... isn't it isn't life about cheating <laughs> it's serious yeah. it's like you, you come up with the best solutions by cheating which is like what else is happening out there who's doing what let's talk to a bunch of other people who are half done their work and it's like this big, like, I don't know if you, like, there's a Mexican food called mole, which is like this, uh, it's, it's basically like this, almost this sauce that you, you never finish it. You just, it's almost like a starter, like a yeast starter. You just keep building it and building it. That's kind of like how innovation is. It's like this thing that's never done that you just, your job's not to, not to finish and get an A. Your job's to just add more ingredients to it as you go and it gets better and better over time. So, I mean, I, I actually have a, a, an onboarding talk to a lot of students here and I just go, Rule number one, learn how to cheat. Like that is going to be your best tool. And part of cheating is actually showing your homework way ahead of time, right? Like, like showing your dirty, messy draft is probably the most in, important thing to do. But it's, but like, we almost have to like beat that. Like I hate the word beat, but you literally have to like be really like tell people straight up, like you've got to unlearn your 23 years of schooling. Cause as you, as you said, like the, 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 the act, exact opposite is how the schooling system is, is built. And I think people get, um, you know, recognition, they want to get an A plus and they want to get it at the end. And, and um, that's not how you build a team. Yeah, you're right. You're, you're, in my head, I'm thinking about school, which I did, I did poorly in school, but the, the kids that would do their work, they would, <laughs> they would go, <laughs> they would oh, you're go just take, being modest. <laughs> <laughs> I wish my brother's a doctor and my sister's a physics teacher. And I was always like the odd one out, but so they would, you would take your project and you would go off and like hide and make it like absolutely perfect. And then you would go yep. show it at some deadline to the individual and you would get rated on if you were good or if you were bad. And then you would never see that project again. And yep. like the way you work, 
now, at least so when I coach my people, like my next generation of leaders, what I notice is inevitably when they, when they first join the team, they want to go off and like, Oh, I'm going to go work on this for a while. And I'm like, not like our team is a small team, you know, we're product team. Like, you know, you, you go work, you're a day or two to accomplish the bare minimum version of what that, business requirement is and then you come back and we like look at it and discuss it and move on and that works for our level of of team right now but i found that the more momentum we can build right the less of the go hiding and making it perfect and the more of like the let's constantly check in and iterate as a group now we're all a part of the process and then we get these new ideas and everything can sort of move forward in this uh, momentum pattern uh, and that, and then people love it. Like once people start working like this, we're like, oh, we just, we just absolutely love That's it awesome. because like they get these, these immediate gratification, like 48 hour feedback loops and it just builds the project. Everyone gets pumped. And I think, uh, one of the things that I realize is, you know, as you said, you're like, we have all this language exams, tests, a plus from schools. Like what language do we use now? Like what's the language of cheating? <laughs> And uh, what, one of the things we came up with was um, being really open about, hey, we're, we're having a chat right now. I'm at 30%, right? I'm at a six, this is a, a 30% chat, a 0% chat, a 60% chat, or it's a 90% chat. And that, that percentage is like, how far am I into this problem space? So at a 30% chat, chat it's like, it, it opens you up going, hey, we're in brainstorming mode. I kind of, let, let's figure out directionality here. Let's, let's add more options to the table. And a 90% chat, I'm going to nitpick every pixel on the screen or every line of code. And it just it let, lets you have the right chat at the right time. Um, and we found that language to be really useful just to, as, a, as, a, as a starter, right, to chats. Because we found a lot of, a lot of people's, um, I guess, feelings got hurt when they're in the wrong. They're like, well, I thought I, I want to be open, but you're like, you're slamming me about pixels. I'm, I'm not ready for pixels. Or, or hey, like, I... I I think I'm done and you didn't give me any harsh feedback. So it's like having that almost a barometer of like how long, how progresses the problem and let's have that kind of discussion has been like super useful as a, I guess a language of, of having these early chats more often. That is ridiculously brilliant. How did you guys come up with that? I have no idea. It just kind of happened. I heard it from someone somewhere. Oh, someone, so I think a mentor told me about that somewhere and I, I just, I ripped it. I, I ripped it off. I get, I cheated. I cheated. I stole it cheated. from someone's <laughs> and I, I forget where it came from, but it's, yeah, it's been uh, super useful here. Yeah. It's cause like the questions we were asking is, you know, how do we make it easier, faster? And it's almost like, you know, you come up with good ideas. It's like some things sound so good. You're like, can we do that? Like, that sounds so good. Are we allowed to do that? Yeah. It's like, yeah, man, that's what we're here to bring value quick and, and, and help progress the world. I love that that 30, 60, 90%. And it, I think it, it works on my brain's going crazy right now. So I, it's simple. Assuming, it's super simple. Yeah. yeah. There's a book there. It. We should write a book on this. Yeah. There's, the, yeah. <laughs> yes. there's a book. There you go. Yes, That's the title. There is, there is a book, <laughs> but, but it's, it's even, it's even more interesting. Cause uh, like, like socially, like I, sh- I want to show up as a CTO to a lot of 30% chats. Like nineties are like too late. Um, and then when I show up, I get a lot of like, people are nervous. They're like, well, what are you doing? I'm not done. And I'm like, no, but this is, this is where we're, we have to talk. Like, like we're, we're talking, we're, we're 
we're, we're brainstorming on, do we understand the problem? Do we know, like, are we going to go east or west in this pro problem? Like, why? Like, what's the weather? Like, we have to understand the scope, the, the terrain, the, like, look at all the maps. Like, that's the, that's the super interesting part of, of problem solving. Um, but I, I, I see a hesitation with, again, why is the CTO showing up at three? They should show up at the end. I'm like, that's not how a collaborative, innovative company works. Um, so anyway, I, I'm not there yet, but I, I, I find the 30% honestly is probably one of the most important kind of chats to have in, in technology and with, and just in general problem solving. At what percent, like we were having this conversation the other day, um, when we were talking about connecting the value to the customer and then you go through yeah. the, through the project and you start at 30%, the value is usually pretty there at 30%, but then as you move towards the end, like there's, there is a time and place in which the customer value sometimes gets lost. And we were talking yep. about that the other day, like at what point you have this customer value and then you turn it into specs and you start executing on the specs, like at where's the exact moment in time that you, you disconnect from the customer value. And there's mm -hmm. a certain part in the project and it's just, it was just an interesting question because yes, if you create specs completely based on the customer value, it's baked in, but like at, but, you know, just at what point do you stop thinking about the customer, like in the, in the conversation and then just have yeah. awareness of that. One, one tip I give teams, again, just going back to the days when um, I had no product manager on my team was um, I had to record screen, screencasts and do demos. So I'm always like, what's the demo? You've, you've got three minutes on stage at some random conference. What demo are you going to give? I'm like, what are you going to show? And, and, and people are going to pay you money for that thing or they're going to walk out and you have three minutes. And I, I ask teams that a lot because I just want to focus, like what, what's the value you're trying to ship? And um, I, I love demos too. And I always, I always have teams start from the beginning, start from scratch, like, and, and show, you know, show how, how easy, like how does this fit, right? Like show the context. Um, as a good forcing function for value. Um, but the other thing too is like, like you know, for like building things hard, right? Like you you take some wrong turns sometimes, but at the at the beginning of a product project or product, I think having a bit of a green path, which is knowing, okay, if we build this one thing to enable this, and then like I can see how that's gonna be leveraged, and I can see I can see I could almost see a couple of years of work in this area, right? So if you take, you know, um, like like take Shopify as an example, right? Online store. <laughs> Right, like like building up online stores. Like we we start with like okay, we need templating, we need configuration, we need settings, we like we need performance. Like how do we do we see like a path of thing? We need simplicity in setting up. And I think having teams have a, like spend a bit of time upfront on what that green path is. Then when you you know if you feel like you're like oh what's the value again? You kind of anchor on remember what 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 journey we're on, like what really matters. And I think um, a lot of teams don't take the time to to, to have a bit of a green path. Go, okay, I'm not just doing one project. I'm literally on this mission for a little while. And it can be a really good way to get back. Like as you're in the details of like making it work or you're, you're, you know, on this detour of like finessing or polishing the spot, you can really, you just go back to your green paths going like, what's this, why does this matter again as a, as a really good anchor. So those two tips, demo, two, three minute demo and get everyone on the team to be able to do it. And then have a bit of a green path, which is beyond this project we're working on. Like, like, why does it matter? And then that's, that's a really good anchor to come back to again and, and um, help decide, right, if you're on the right track or not. I love it. Those, that's like super great advice. And then it made me think too, um, I got asked a couple days ago, like sometimes you know how things just come in clusters. 
uh, I got asked like randomly, like a number of times from different people. Uh, how do I, you know, know that I'm ready to be a CTO? Like I might be a director of engineering and I think that there's an opportunity and I might be able to move up, uh, whether in my company or to another company. And then, so I had those in my mind coming into this call. And then I saw that, you know, you made the transition from, you know, I think it was VP at Atlassian and then to CTO. And I, I try to tell people I get hung up on titles. Well, I'll let you answer this, but like, what was in, <laughs> like internally, how did you know you were ready to, to make a transition like for more? Man. Okay. Uh, this is a super interesting topic. So I feel like I've had the same job for 25 years. Like, I'm just going to put that, like I've literally had the same job. I've been, you know, um, building software with teams on interesting problems. That's literally all. And I think at some point people gave me permission to have a bit of responsibility on the people we work with, the culture and the technology. And um, I think your entire job in tech is, is how do you mix those three things together really well and get better at each one, right? Get better with working with people, get better at understanding problems um, and, and get better at, at like, building things and using technology leverage. And I think, uh, I think what's, I guess maybe giving me the, the privilege and, you know, to, to be CTO Shopify is like, um, that's all I think about. I don't think about the title. Like it's, I just like doing that at, um, over and over and over again. And I, I, I love it that there's an infinite number of problems. And I think, uh, I think the people I've seen who either get stuck in, in a role or don't advance is I think they, um, they're waiting for some big change or like when I'm a CTO, then I can do this other thing where I can, but it, it's all the same job, right? Like we're just, so I think falling in love with that, that being your profession and that being something you do is, is going to bring you to amazing places. Um, I'd say, you know, in my career, I've had, you know, ebbs and flows of different things that you specialize in. You know, I took almost a year off to write a book at some point. So that was really, really interesting just to figure out how to write and explain things. Um, you know, super geeky technical on platform work in Eclipse. You know, at Atlassian, I did a lot of like team building. I had to hire 500 engineers, I had to think about onboarding, I had to think about a lot of that. And coming to Shopify, I've actually been able to um, go almost back into technology in some ways, like a bit of the T in CTO. Like um, I've, you know, had the luxury of hiring some really strong, you know, engineering leaders here and um, have had to dip back into technology. But I think, again, that ebb and flow between them has just been around solving problems. So, um, I think at some point too, you do have to realize from a leadership perspective that like understanding humans is a really good asset, you know, like you don't do much alone anymore. <laughs> um, so I think, uh, I actually had to almost go back to school, but humans, right? Like probably having kids and teenagers getting married, being, I've been married for 20 years, like being in <laughs> company, building companies, that. like you learn a lot, like just as a personal growth. And, um, I think bringing that into, you know, how you communicate the relationships you have stakeholder management, which is literally just, who like people have to know about stuff, right? Like fill them in, uh, people have biases, like make sure you sell that, like all that practicing that over and over again, I think is um, why people kind of tap me on the shoulder and, and don't mind kind of hanging out with me doing these kind of gigs. No, it's, it's definitely a skill and it's, you know, it's definitely has to be something that you work on. Cause I realized quickly, like I would sit there, you know, for over a decade and just tell the computer what to do, you know, just yeah, exactly. constantly. And then I go interact with like, my wife <laughs> it's like you just different communication styles right and and then now i have um and then like i wrote my first book and that was a massive 
experience to understand how many times you have to like write something or how to communicate it effectively and succinctly. Oh, it's insane. Yeah. Well, I got, I got my, the first draft of my book got ripped apart. I remember, I remember like it was yesterday, the, uh, the reviewer we had, I think his name was Tim said, Jean-Michel, you wrote this book for you. Shame on you. It's like, shame on you. You just, you just went it, you know, you and it was a friend of mine, you wrote this book. So like for someone exactly like you, like you don't write a book for you. Like, who are you writing this for? Right. And like talk about product mindset. I was like, holy crap, you're entirely right, right? We, we had the most advanced chapters, the super geeky things, like way up front. Like it was all this stuff because I'd, I'd been working in this area for so long. It was all the stuff that I wanted to learn, but I didn't bring anyone along on the journey. And, and I remember he said, you guys have to go back to the drawing board and, and just remember like, who's your customer? Who's going to read this book and write it for them? And it was so humbling. Um, but it's real, right? It's, it's that, that's exactly, we get hung up in, in, you know, what we like, what we want, how we think. And a lot of, I think, building software and products is, is kind of coming out of yourself and, and having a lot of perspective. Yeah, communication, just learning how to write, learning how to talk. Those are just yeah. skills that are just massively life-changing, just incredibly valuable. Now, you said you had some kids. How old are they? Uh, they're, how old are they now? 16 and 18. Oh, wow. I've got two and a half and 10 months. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. There you go. You're at the yeah, 30%. So, I'm at the 90. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'll tell you what though. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> you're right though. At that 30% ages two to four is when they're most impressionable. It's like when core characteristics get locked in. So it's good to have those 30% conversations. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's, it's, it's funny. I, you know, talk about pair pro I'm, I'm a big pair programming fan. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually made a mistake where, you know, as your kids get older, you think that they're becoming more independent, but they actually like humans are sponges forever. And uh, I realized I wasn't actually pairing with my kids enough on homework because you're like, Hey, they're teenagers. They don't want to, you know, they want to just do their own thing. But I try to integrate, like, how could we work on problems with teenagers? Because one is I forget some of this stuff. And I, I always like to see like how my kids walk through problems. So I had to kind of relearn a bit of pairing at home, which was, we did a bit of a kitchen. Okay, let's come to the kitchen and chat about how, how things are going. And it's something we, we lost at home. I think is super valuable. And I think companies lose that as well, right? Of just like, I think pairing as a, as a tool to, um, um, to like understand how people think is really important. And, you know, going back, I think, you know, some of the tools we've had in our trade of like, you know, pull requests and issue tracking. And, you know, I, I spent a lot of time in Bugzilla way back when of like coming in the morning on Monday morning, I spent the whole day responding to all the influx of bugs coming in. And I realized that um, when you're solving problems, a lot of, a lot of engineering debates and arguments would be all happen in, in Bugzilla and GitHub and pull requests. But I'm like, but that's not where the software design happens. Like you're literally seeing, like you don't, like there's so much you don't understand about like where, like what was the first line of code that was written for this? Like where did they start? And, and, and could you have influenced that earlier than, you know, when it was done or when there was a pull request and that was everyone's so attached to their problem. So I think, you know, I'm like a huge fan of like hitting these problems earlier. And, and I've had, you know, I, I've made the missteps at home where, you know, I assume my kids have it and just show me at the end. I've been trying to infiltrate my, myself at the beginning a bit more, which is like, again, like, let's get into 30%. And um, it's a big pet peeve at work as well. When I see, when I see, you know, big technical discussions flare up and I'm like, do you guys ever go to like, did anyone go to the whiteboard together? a bit earlier or did, did you write a readme to explain a bit about what your direction is and get some feedback? So, um, and again, another, uh, another thing that I think, uh, 
is easy to, to forget, but pairing. Yeah. I like, pairing. I like, I like the, um, the day one, like at Amazon, I've got a couple of friends that work over there. Yeah. They have to write like the press release, which is similar Those press to like the demo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're so good. By the way, if you ever run a meeting and do the, um, the, like the, the multi-page report before discussing like a really tough topic deal, that is like what by far one of the most beautiful ways to conduct like a hard topic meeting mm-hmm. uh so so useful because everyone reads this narrative and they have the whole thing in their head and all the details and then you can have an informed discussion about it it's hard to do like you don't do it for small things but yep. it's really useful with um with larger things uh now uh, I know you had, you had mentioned the kids. Did either of them end up with uh, in technology? Any of them interning at Shopify? Uh, not interning. I think my uh, one of my kids is staying away from uh, Dad's shadow a bit. But uh, I've got one one artist and one uh, uh, computer programmer kind of in the family. So uh, okay, we'll, we'll see. We'll see where they end up. I hope they do something completely different. My daughter's actually an amazing cook, so I you know I, I get to uh, benefit from that it's very tangible it's really cool uh, but uh no we did uh i mean one of the things i got the pleasure of doing at shopify which was uh pretty cool is as you can tell in our chat i'm pretty passionate about uh kids education computer science programming and uh, one of the things i realized is we would have a lot of interns come to shopify and then they go back after four months and then they go back to school and school would say um go teach something completely unrelated to what they what they were doing at shopify um and they come to shopify and they we learned so much when you were here. So I was like, well, how do we mix universities and companies? So we have like a lot more hands-on experiential approach. So um, I partnered with two universities in Canada and we created a program called Dev Degree. And there's a website called devdegree.ca, which is I think the world's first um, full-on work integrated computer science degree, where instead of you know doing stints at a company, they literally spend their entire degree here. Um, we get them programming really quickly. Um, we get them working on teams, production software. They, they end up working on a lot of parts of the stack. And um, uh, what we've been able to find out with that, and, and there's a lot of research on how people learn that like when you learn by doing and then learn with um, like getting quick feedback loops and actual like hands-on learning, um, you can learn. I, I think some of the, the academic research is, is two times. You can acquire skills like mastery two times quicker. So we, we have some of our students in our dev degree program with after two years, are basically programming at the same skill set as a someone who graduated and had been here for six months. So just two years full time with you know all all the entourage and the actual real life programming experiences has been um, has been amazing. So I think that's a we're graduating our first class this year, which is which is pretty cool. That's exciting. I'm going to send you some stuff on what we're doing with LeaderBits after because I think okay. it might be useful to like integrate it or at least you just to check it out and play around with it. Does, you awesome. tell me if it'd be useful because we're always looking to help out, um, you know, reduce that curve because again, that's like at the core of if we can help make leaders and people better faster then that just speeds up our processes. And it also makes people's lives easier because, you know, we've learned these lessons and it's like enough of us have learned them over and over and over yeah. To be able to to condense those experiences and help distribute them so people can, you know, leverage it to move themselves yeah. forward faster. That's what we're all about. There, there's, I mean, I think there's like, like committing to grow people is important. The other thing too is like our industry in, in programming, you know, software development has been pretty crappy at like attracting different kinds of people. You know, like I think, you, I think we started this interview going, hey, do you get into programming through gaming? Or I'm like, 
no, like, like we need more than just gamers. And I think what's been great is we've, um, uh, we threw out the whole, send me your GitHub profile before I hire you. And we're more, we're more like, what, do you like problem solving? We're like, yes, cool. Do you like, um, building things that make people like, like amazed? Yes, cool. You can join us. So we, we, we use that as a bit of a baseline and then bring people in and, and instead of being in school and like abstracting and learning about algorithms, like if you can apply that, like in the same week, then we have a lot of people who I think opted out, would have opted out of being a software developer, but that they can actually viscerally see the impact of the code they're writing on, on people, on customers. Like that's, I think, kept them in our industry a lot more. So anyway, I'm, I'm a big fan of like bridging that gap of like uh, understanding what you're building and actually seeing it have an impact as, as helping our industry as a whole for attracting people who are like a lot of people that's, you know, that that's what gets them going. I think we need a lot more of those kinds of people in, in our industry. Hundred percent, I fully agree, and I love what you guys are doing with that. I think it's amazing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna dig deeper because I just cool. heard about Check it, it just now. But all right, so as we start to wrap up here, yeah, uh, I know you're a fan of Elon Musk because you mentioned him a little bit. But let's say, do you have any of the Teslas, by the way? I did have one of the, yeah, one of the original first version of the Model Xs. All right, so let's say that you've got it in that crazy mode where it's dancing. Right, you're in the parking it's, it's, lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you've got it playing the Trans Siberian Orchestra, doing its crazy thing, and out of nowhere, this guy taps you on the shoulder, and it's Elon Musk. Right, you're just in like the grocery grocery store parking lot, and he's like, "Hey, I want to show you something," and you get into the X, and he puts it in Musk mode, something you've never Musk seen before. Mode. Right? Yeah, he puts his hand on the on the screen, it scans it. You didn't even know I had that ability for yeah. biometrics. I know it's a <laughs> Musk Musk mode turns on, right? And all of a sudden, the X has turned into a time machine where you get to go back to your, your past self when you, the, the mm-hmm. day you were doing that uh, play uh, for, uh, I think it's the Phantom of the Opera, uh, you were doing the music for that play. Uh, you get to go back to that person at that point in time and give yourself one piece of advice. What would it be? Uh, build stronger relationships quicker earlier. I think I was, uh, that guy back then was really focused on, I had a bit of myopic view on solving problems. And I think uh, going into the 30% mindset that a lot of people out there are actually going to help me out. I, 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 I did not tap that energy source. Like I, 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 it took me a while to figure out how to tap other people's brains and energy source earlier. So I think that would be the biggest advice. That's so succinct and beautiful. And now Musk is trying to do that actually with his Neuralink API. That's what he's doing, right? Exactly. (laughs) If we can handle that bandwidth. (laughs) I think, yeah. yeah. One of the the funniest movies is, uh, is it the Mel Gibson, what women think where all of a sudden he can hear what everyone says and it drives them nuts. And I always, I always tell teams that it's, that's kind of what happens when your product becomes really successful is everyone's going to give you their opinions of what, of what they think. So you be aware of what brains you're going to tap in. You still have to, you need some filters once in a while. So anyway, this was a uh, great chatting. No, this is fantastic. You know, I, I do this show and I love it, but every once in a while I get, you know, someone like you that comes on, it's just like, yep, these are the type of conversations. They're, they're the rare ones, but when they happen, I, I just get like renewed energy for, for doing the show and everything. So thank you so much for being you. Uh, next time I'm around in your area, I'll let you know, maybe uh, stop by, say hello, get a tour of the office if that's cool. Okay. Sounds like a plan. Thanks. Bye. Talk soon. Bye.